2: Hello, you're listening to me and Paranormal You with your host, Ryan Singer. Because it's more fun to believe. Hello? Hello, Ben. Yes. This is Ryan Singer calling. I, uh, oh, hey, Ryan. How e- you doing? Hey, doing uh, great. Uh good, good, I think. Uh, is this a good time for you, or should we call back yeah, on Skype, is- or what's better for you?
1: Um, either way is fine. If this is fine, this is fine with me.
2: Okay. Yeah. Um, It sounds, the connection sounds pretty good. So, uh, I'm cool with this. Okay. Awesome. Uh, thanks, man. I appreciate you taking the time to uh, chat with me today.
1: No, happy to do it. Um, thanks so much for having me.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. This book is so, is so damn awesome. I, um, (laughs) <laughs> I I got to tell you the uh I mean I read it, the thing in like probably 2 days. The uh let oh, me Yeah, let me just mention who you are real quick too in case I don't do like the uh prolonged intro. I'm talking with Ben Mesrick, Uh I mean, you are uh, to say you're an accomplished author is to uh is to uh is to be a, an understatement. Um you've published 18 books up to now, is that correct?
1: Right. Yeah, that's about right. Eighteen. That <laughs> sounds
2: good. Yeah, and there seems to be a uh, there seems to be a, a common thread here. And I, I was raised in a gambling like a, an Irish Catholic gambling family, so I have like a um, there is a uh, an affinity for a lot of the subject matter that you're getting into when it comes. And I'm also like, you know, not totally conspiracy minded, but uh, you know, I used to be more so when I was younger. But the uh, yeah, so there's lots of uh, great stuff happening in in a lot of the books that that you've written. Uh, people would know you from um Thank you bringing down the house, which was turned into uh, twenty one was the name of the movie right and
1: then yeah twenty one right with uh Kevin Stacy uh non fish friend about the blackjack team um that took vegas yeah
2: yeah and uh i mean this and the thirty seventh parallel uh which is the new book that's uh that'll probably be out but it'll it'll be out by the time uh, people hear this the this is uh Something that's really, really fascinating. To I think anybody. I don't think it has to be someone who's, you know, going to MUFON meetings or, you know, checking right. Infowars.com. Uh, I don't think you need to be into all that stuff to uh, to get into what's happening here because the unexplainable nature. But um, so there's all kinds of stuff we can get into about that. But the uh, it seems before we get really started into the book, I, I wanted to ask you like on a scale of like. Um, Let's say on one to kook, and kook to me is like a term of endearment anymore, but on like a scale of one to kook, where would you, where would you, where you fall in here?
1: Me personally? Yeah. Um, You know, (laughs) I think I go back and forth. Really, I'm just inquisitive. Uh, I'm kind of a fly on the wall in different stories. And I I like stories about underground things that you don't really know are happening right beneath your feet. I'm intrigued by stories that involve, you know, big money and um, exciting Really smart people doing something different. But um, uh, I, you know, when I went into this story, I was not like a UFO believer. I didn't know anything about that world. Um, I'm I'm a bit of a skeptical person in general. Um, but uh, in terms of my daily life, I think I'm I'm, I'm a little crazy. <laughs> but I don't <laughs> think you know uh, my, it's not necessarily my belief system or my uh, my behavior. I guess <laughs> that might be determined. Me being a kook, but um, I, I certainly, um, you know, I'm not a conspiracy guy. I'm not really a big believer in conspiracies for the most part, but I do, you know, know of, of certain things that one would call cover-ups. And in terms of the books that I've written, I've certainly seen a lot of uh, secrets and, and, and the way people keep secrets. Um, you know, the MIT story was one great secret, it went on for 20 years. You know, a group of college kids won millions of dollars in Vegas and kept it pretty much secret. Um, you know, the other story I'm known for, uh, the social network movie about Facebook. I mean, you know, there were a lot of shenanigans going on, um, and, and, and breaking into that world definitely involved a lot of sort of, uh, uh, difficult research, I would say. Um, but, uh, in general, I think, uh, I'm somewhere between a journalist and an entertainer, I think. Um, so that usually makes me a little crazy, but. In general, I think I'm somewhere in the middle of that scale.
2: Well, I think you have to be a little bit unhinged to, uh, you know, to even be able to subject yourself to some of this stuff. And you know, and going through like your history and stuff. I mean, you do have. I think that's a that's a pretty gr- great way of describing yourself uh, somewhere right. between journalist and entertainer. Because I mean, you do have experience hosting for television and things like that. And and right. uh, and you you know the, your written works have you know crossed over into the big screen uh, and also the small screen, right? With the X Files.
1: Yeah, I, I wrote for the X-Files. I, did a, uh, I wrote a, a book for them. Um, I also had a TV movie back in 2000, um, which was really bad, called Fatal Error. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Antonio, Antonio Sabato Jr., if you remember, Antonio, Jr. and Robert Wagner running around. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I mean, if you would have told yeah.
2: 12-year-old me, because uh, I'm 40 now, if you would have told 12-year-old Ryan that you had a, uh, a movie with Antonio Sabato Jr. and Robert Wagner, I would have been like, I'm all in, dude. <laughs> There's no way this is going to be. uh, There's no way I'm going to look back on this later and think it wasn't any good.
1: Yeah, but I don't recommend that anyone rents that movie if they can find (laughs) it. But but in general, uh, you know, it's uh, it's been an interesting and and varied career for sure.
2: Okay, so the um, um, and if I'm not mistaken, you're a father now. Is that correct? Yes, Um, two
1: kids, two kids,
2: two kids. So, um, do you think having I'm not sure how old they are, but uh, do you think that your point of view has changed uh, when it, in regards to you know the nefarious nature of certain conspiracy theories? Do they take on like maybe a darker a darker tint now that you're a father?
1: Well, I mean that's an interesting question. You know, I, I definitely believe that the world my kids are going to grow up in is going to be vastly different than the world that I grew up in. Um, you know, the things that are going on around us uh, are are hard to ignore. Um, I, I, think that, you know, in general, uh, uh conspiracies aren't always bad. <laughs> the idea that the government or whoever one you say keeps secrets, they don't always do it for bad reasons. They often do it for what they perceive to be good reasons. Um, so, you know, there are good conspiracies and there are bad conspiracies in the book. Uh, and this isn't really what the book is about, but I get into the Manhattan project a bit and the Manhattan project was probably the biggest secret. America ever kept, you know, the development of the, the nuclear bomb, the atomic weapon. Um, it involved a hundred thousand people, um, of which only about 15 actually knew what they were doing. Um, when you think about a conspiracy of that size, um, you know, everything else kind of pales in comparison to it. And in the book, I get into that story because I'm trying to say, you know, listen, a lot of people come to me and, and when, I, when I talk about you know UFOs, whether they're real or not, people say, well, how could the government keep something like that secret? Um, you look back at the Manhattan Project, and they were able to keep a very, very big secret that involved 100,000 people. Um, so when you look at that, you think, okay, any sort of secrecy is, is possible. Um, but at the same time, that was a conspiracy for, um, for good. Uh, you, know, and you could argue one way or the other about that, but in general, the idea was, was to end the war. Um, So not all of these things are bad. And when you look into the UFO thing, um, which is what this book is about, uh, the reason for secrecy isn't necessarily for nefarious reasons. Um, But uh, but I do believe, you know, the world that my kids or our kids are going to inherit is is going to have a lot uh, of secrets and a lot of things that will get revealed
2: yeah for sure and it's a great point because that is one of the main go to for people uh, when they try to just shoot down all conspiracies it's like well they the government can't do anything they're they're bad they're they're inefficient they're bad people can't right. keep secrets and i mean i don't know i mean you could ask any person who's ever worked in a restaurant probably uh, if they think i mean i mean there's conspiracies happening there between relationships between people and everything i mean our whole right. you know everything could be framed as a conspiracy i guess if you want to you know, if you're really hell bent on trying to uh, view the world in that way, but the Manhattan Project right. is amazing uh, how they, how they. If yeah. nothing else, uh, whether people want to say it's good or bad, like you said, I guess it could be framed either way. But if nothing else, it's an it, it's a an incredible accomplishment to be able to keep that thing quiet for for as long as
1: right. And 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 the other thing I tell people, you know, is that it's not like the government needs to be that good at keeping it secret. There are people coming forward every day claiming you know, that they have information about UFOs. Uh, 99% of them are going to be full of it, but you never really know how many leaks there are because in general, the whole feeling of it is that, you know, if you're not going to believe, you're not going to believe. And 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 the government or whoever is keeping this stuff secret knows that. Um, so it's not like this has to be perfect. I'm sure during the Manhattan Project, there were engineers saying, hey, I think I'm working on this, and people just ignored them. I mean, one of the things that went on with the Manhattan Project, was the government of the, the Bureau of Censorship went through uh, newspapers and made sure the words atomic or nuclear never appeared? Um, and so, even in comic books, they edited comic books, Buck Rogers comic books at the time, to make sure these words didn't exist in the American language because they didn't want people thinking that way. And so, when you think about the lengths to which people can go to keep a secret, um, you realize that you know there certainly are things. Uh, that we're not going to be aware of until after the fact.
2: That's pretty incredible that they, um, I guess when, I don't know, being in the entertainment business myself, I mean, because I do stand-up comedy for my job, the the idea that, you know, and you learn about you know sponsorship or branding or you know mm-hmm. product placement and all this kind of stuff you understand that you know it's not necessarily nefarious as much as it is like okay the funding is coming from somewhere um, you know <laughs> right. where is the money coming to be making these exorbitant things and you know right. unfortunately or fortunately however you want to view it the you know the world of advertising uh, for the most part is the number one player there but uh, then you also have government money but uh, yeah, it doesn't always have to be nefarious, like you said. Even though maybe you know, on paper it sounds like, oh wow, they're they're censoring and secretly going through and changing all of these things, which you know, I guess at its heart is kind of is, is strange and conspiratorial. But yeah, when it comes to the uh, and it is interesting because of the the timing of the atomic bomb, um, and then Roswell was a year later, and you go through right. this. Um, and in the book, there's a guy Chuck Zukowski who, I mean, I was talking to some friends of mine about this last night. When it comes to the people who have this insane amount of passion and drive for their belief and what they're, whether you want to say that whether they're obsessed with it or they're just driven to do, these people are the people that like. Oh man, I really admire these people, and right. I feel like reading the book. It almost felt like you were. You were there with him through all of this stuff, and I can only imagine because it was about a what it was it about a year you spent with him and his wife, or longer. Um,
1: you know, it's it's hard to put a number on it. I, I definitely spent a lot of time talking to Chuck and, and and his wife and and the different people that are in the book. But I really try to get to know my main characters as well as I can, spend as much time with them as possible. And you're right. I mean, it's it's, it's this obsession, you know. Uh, whether right or wrong, that that I do find admirable. I, I love it when people sort of get to that degree of passion towards something. Uh, you know, a lot of people are going to think he's crazy, and he knows that. Um, his family doesn't have any money, so basically, his wife is, is doing two jobs so that he continue can continue into his obsession, um, his belief. You know, that there's there's something out there, and that he wants to prove it. Um, it it's it's fascinating to me. So yeah, I really spent spend a lot of time with him trying to get to understand him.
2: Yeah, and another yeah. thing, I another thing I really appreciated about the about the book, and um, I know that it's in, uh, at least from what I read, it's in development already, or uh, you know, to eventually be on the big screen, uh, and right. you know, and you can see the you can see the movie, I guess, as you're reading it. I mean, you know, people are going to love this book, but um, when it comes to his wife, he when it comes right. to Tammy. She, in many movies, when there's a strong male character who's, you know, hell-bent on proving something for justice or his obsession, whether it's like JFK, the Oliver Stone film, but they always paint the wife as like the antagonist almost right. to to kind of, I don't know, further, uh, to kind of distance or, or cover up the fact that the man's ignoring his, his family. Or, or not doing right. his diligence as a father. He's being a bad father you know or a bad husband. but they make the wife very annoying to kind of you know make it so you don't think about that right At least that's what it seems right. like in a lot of movies uh, with a strong male. But in this book, you don't have that. you have um, and who knows? I mean she could have maybe in real life in a different in a different timeline maybe gone that way but um, it seems like you know she's this quiet support system. For Chuck right. like the unsung well, hero I mean, of it all
1: yeah she's intriguing because she's a skeptic you know she doesn't believe in UFOs she thinks that you know he's he's tilting at windmills as it were and he's not just trying to prove to the world that they exist but he's trying to prove to his wife that they exist but at the same time she's out there working two jobs and, and attempting to support the family while he goes after this obsession uh, one of my favorite lines from her and you know when I interviewed like well, how do you put up with this? She said, well, look, you know, it could be worse. He could be off having affairs. <laughs> At least he's <laughs> off in, in the mountains looking for aliens. Um, and I think that that's an intriguing point of view. I mean, listen, a lot of men have hobbies, uh, you know, disappear into football or disappear into whatever it is. Um, and his happens to be chasing down UFOs. Oh. Um, but she worries about him, you know, when whenever he goes out into the mountains, she makes sure, you know, he contacts her that, um, you know, he usually carries a gun or weapons with him and he's, he's definitely safety conscious. And if it weren't for her, he would be in the mountains every night. Um, he would be chasing down all of these different sightings all the time. Um, so I think she definitely fears for what he gets into. Um, but she's a great, strong character. I think when the movie gets made, she'd be very you know interesting to see who they cast in that role. Um, but, uh, overall, I think, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely, you know, a, a fascinating dynamic between the two of them.
2: Yeah, for sure. It definitely is. And she seems, oh man, I mean, to, to be able to find a woman like that, I mean, it's like, you're really, you're really hitting the lottery if you're Chuck uh, in this situation. And now I'm fear, I fear for the guy. I mean, just reading this book, I mean, I, I love being outdoors and I love the mountains and I love camping and things like that. But at the same time, you know, when you really do some off the grid camping, And it's just so quiet out there and you can hear every frog or, and then you're worried. And then next, you know, oh, wild boars are out here maybe, or, you know, bears or like bobcats. It's just like, I, I mean, I don't know how someone like Chuck has, I mean, I guess you're just born that way. And and that adventurous spirit, that wild man, like, you know, oh, it's, it's pretty, I don't know. Do you find yourself being drawn to the outdoors?
1: Well, listen, I'm, I'm, I am the opposite of most of my characters. I'm pretty much scared of everything. Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, the, basically I live in a city and I, I basically live in a mall. I'm basically a mall dweller. Um, when I write the books, I, I, I accompany my characters into sort of situations, but overall, I'm, I'm terrified of everything. I remember meeting Chuck for the first time in the airport and he picked me up in the airport and, you know, he's strapped wearing, <laughs> with his Glock, you know, he's got his, he gives me a bulletproof vest and he says, Oh, we're going to go looking for UFOs. And, and I'm in terror the whole time. that <laughs> I'm going to get killed. Um, so no, I'm not a great outdoors person. I really admire people who, who can do that. Um, but, um, I did grow up that way. You know, I, I, it, for me, it's all pretty, uh, you know, new to me. Um, but yeah, he's fearless. I mean, he's one of these, you know, he was sheriff's deputy, reserve sheriff's deputy for a while. He, uh, he, uh, is an outdoors type person. Um, and uh, and he's 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 at one sort of in, in in the mountains or on the ranches and things like that. Um, I, you know that's not who I am, but it's fascinating to me to learn about people like that.
2: Yeah, he. Ooh, I mean, the the fearlessness that he's got. I guess. Um, I guess you don't really think about it if you've got it. It's just who you are, and other people right. would say. You know, other people would probably you know admire certain other qualities about other people like i mean i don't know being able to dive in and being you know a writer and someone who has you know written so many books i mean there's a certain level of i think solitude and dedication yeah. and hard work that comes with that that some people will be like oh man i could never do that i could never you right. know, just sit there and write it all out
1: but yeah i mean you have to be you know at one with the idea of just sitting in a room for a very long period of time. <laughs> i mean it's not a it's a, it's a, it can be a very lonely uh, and maddening profession, and also in the beginning of your career, you have to love rejection <laughs> because there's an enormous amount of rejection in this, in the, in all, in all the creative fields. I mean. You know, um, as, as a stand-up comedian, you get it right to your face, <laughs> you know, and the, the good thing about writing is when you send in something, they just send you a, a rejection letter. So it's not as personal, I guess, <laughs> but but it's a, it's, a, it's a process of rejection after rejection after rejection until you finally break through. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, in, in that respect, you know, you have to be a little crazy, but it's not like going out into the mountains and, and facing coyotes or whatever it is. Um, it's a different different form of bravery, I guess.
2: Yeah, the rejection on the mountain is uh, Uh, (laughs) life-threatening. Yeah, as opposed to, I don't know, I mean, I don't know, the idea, and I do understand the idea of embracing rejection, because that means you're taking risk, and, you know, without risk, life is boring, Um, you know, but I think it's more intellectual risk and, you know, personal personal risk, uh, as opposed to the physical risk that, you know, Chuck puts himself into on a regular basis. Now, when you were a kid, did you find yourself um, you know, have you always been this kid who was okay being by himself and like spending a lot of alone time and, and you know, um, solitude?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I definitely um, I have sort of a, a dual personality and, and the part of me that, that loves writing, and wants, one I've wanted to be a writer since I was 12 years old, you know, I, I do get something out of just sitting there working on on a project, creating something. It's sort of this control thing where you sort of develop this world and and get to know characters and stuff. But at the same time, I love the book tour. I love getting out there talking to people. I love, you know, speaking about the subjects or whatever it is I'm writing about. Um, so it's kind of this mix of, of, of a personality where you have to kind of be comfortable doing both. Um, and, uh, yeah, writing itself is, is, is not, you know, it's a painful process. It's not a lot of fun uh, often. Um, but getting out there and talking about your stories and the research part of it is a lot of fun. And when I'm researching a book, I really get to go out there and 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 be a part of it. I'm learning about the whole UFO world and sort of uh you know Chuck dives into it from Roswell on um and so I got to sort of learn about this world I knew nothing about and get inside it as much as I can um through chuck and uh, and that's that's fascinating to me. So I really like both parts of the job in a way. Um, as a kid, I think you know writing was was definitely my the thing that I knew I was going to be doing with the rest of my life. Um, But, um, but, you know, I I have always seen it as part of the entertainment, you know, industry. Um, My goal is really to, to, to get in front of people and to get the book in front of as many
2: people as possible. Yeah. Okay. So you didn't have these like crazy dreams of like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to die penniless in a shack. And then 50 years after my <laughs> no, death, all that, of my transcripts my will be discovered, that's, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's, that's never been my hope. Um, I, I really, you know, I, I did love you know, Hunter S. Thompson. I, I was obsessed with, um, but also, uh, Jay McInerney and, and Michael Crichton. And I think they're very different writers, you know, Hunter S. Thompson's completely insane and off in the mountains and with his shotguns and, and the drugs, and meanwhile Michael Crichton is in Hollywood uh, with the Playboy bunnies and, and creating Jurassic Park. And I think I want to be both those things. <laughs> so yeah. I think, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, writing is a is a great career, um, but you know you have to figure out what kind of writer you want to be and, and figure out how to
2: get there. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, Michael Crichton's niece. Uh... Is uh, her name's Hannah? She's uh, she's heavily involved in the uh, comedy scene out here in Los Angeles. So it all. These, oh, is that right, huh? Yeah, yeah. These worlds all kind of blend together, and it seems like from some of the other books that you kind of had have, or you've had that you know some of these experiences where you dive in fully into this person's life. Now, I guess we can focus a little more on on the book that's coming out. Um, uh, just as a reminder, the thirty seventh parallel. Now this thing. Um, if you're not into UFOs, this is like a good way. I mean, you get sucked in right away. And, and I told myself I wasn't going to, I mean, the way this book ends, and I'm not going to give any spoilers, but um, man, I mean, are you serious? Like, I'm sure people. I'm sure people have been talking to you about this, but like all I can yeah. say is, are end- you serious, dude? Like, are you right, kidding right. me? You're gonna do that? too.
1: you're gonna do? The-
2: <laughs> it's so great. I know. It's Listen, so the
1: ending is going to be controversial. There's no doubt about it. Um, I, I, I I fully expect there to be uh, a lot of discussion, both positive and negative, about how the book ends. But I will say. You know, part of what this story is about is this world of of UFOs, this world that's going on sort of around us. Um, There's an enormous amount of data. There's an enormous amount of factual data and and research. And and essentially, uh, there's no smoking gun, but there are so many bullets (laughs) that it's very hard to turn away from this and, and say nothing's going on and i think with the end of the book um and i really don't want to give it away i think hopefully you're going to be left with the feeling that this is something real and we're very very close to there being a uh, a resolution um but uh but I, I you know i i understand uh why the ending will will probably have multiple uh multiple different points of view on on on, on how it works out um but yeah
2: no yeah. it's great it's great and the uh I, you know, and many people tell me that I bastardized this, uh, this word and kind of like, you know, take too much liberty with it. But it almost feels like onomatopoeia to me. Like the, uh, the ending of the book is kind of onomatopoeic for like just this whole, the whole situation of the subject matter uh, in a way. And I really dig that. I remember I was driving to the grocery store late at night. There's a grocery store here in my neighborhood. that's open till 1 a.m. And I would finished the book and I'm driving. I like to go late because there's nobody there. And then, I mean, I had to, like, remind myself, you know, look at the road, dude. You know, don't look at, you know, because, you know, everyone, it's not that often that we get clear enough skies out here in Los Angeles to see all the stars and everything. Yeah. So it's like, but last night was one of those nights and I'm just like, oh, man, okay. Oh, oh Chuck, I know you're out there. And it's like, this book, like, resonated <laughs> with me in such a great way um, that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think people are really going to enjoy it. The When it comes to... Chuck and his obsession, and then, you know, he's got a support system, and then he's got a sister that just also happens to be getting into all this stuff, uh, you know, in the exact same, Uh but, you know, slightly different way with MUFON. And if people don't know what MUFON is, it's the Mutual UFO Network. Um, And uh, and so then, when they team up at some point, you know, like, it's like, this is a story about a guy's obsession, you know, forcing his family... To you know, he's pushing his family limits to the brink of like what they'll tolerate, and then boom! All of a sudden, it's his family that reinforces him. It's like so great. Um, yeah. The. Um,
1: oh yeah, yeah, go ahead. If that sparks. Yeah, him. I mean, I, I definitely, I think that what really intrigued me about this story is when I came into it, I knew nothing about the UFO phenomenon. I pretty much believe, probably what most people believe that, who knows? But most of this stuff is not real, and that. It's this crazy phenomenon. People see lights in the sky. But, you know, as I dug into it and as I followed Chuck on his own journey, I realized that, you know, my beliefs are changing about this. I I really and truly believe now that we have probably been visited. I think it's there's enough research and data um, that something happened at Roswell that's still unexplained, um, that there are numerous different events over the past you know fifty years, that don't have a great and easy explanation. Um, you know, the cattle mutilation phenomenon is what initially drew me into this story. So Chuck was a reserve sheriff's deputy. He was investing in cattle mutilation um, on a ranch and got fired from the sheriff's department for starting to sort of say UFOs. Um, the cattle mutilation phenomenon is so bizarre and so undercovered by the media. Um, that it fascinated me. Um, Since the 40s and 50s, over 10,000 cows and horses have been found lying on their left side, missing a lung, missing a heart. All of the cuts are circular and surgical, and the bodies are drained of blood. It, it, It became such a big phenomenon in the 70s that three state governors got together, petitioned the Attorney General of the United States, and demanded an FBI investigation. There was a 10-year investigation involving 100 agents, and they came to no conclusion. They have no idea what's causing all of these mutilated cattle. Now, that's not to say it, it means it's UFOs, but it's a phenomenon that, for whatever reason, is not explained, hasn't been explained, and yet you never hear about it. And that, to me, is what set off alarms with me. It's, it's very interesting to me when, when something like that just simply isn't covered. Um, and, uh, and, uh, then getting into the UFO stuff into to Roswell, the facts of Roswell are staggering to me. Um, you know, Roswell itself is very kitschy and fun and it's become somewhat of a joke. It's where you go to get dressed up as an alien and go to a ball and, and eat at a flying saucer cafe. But the facts of Roswell are, are really intense, you know, in, in 19, 1947, something crashed during an electrical storm. Uh, U.S. Air Force Base, and it was the America's first nuclear base. It's where the plane that took off that bombed Japan, you know, they, that's where the plane was held, where it came from. Um, their radar tracked something flying through the night. Whatever it was crashed on a ranch, leaving debris all over the place. The debris was metallic, was covered in hieroglyphics. Uh, the rancher calls the sheriff, the sheriff calls the Air Force Base. The Air Force picks up the debris and then puts out a press release saying we've well, found a flying saucer shortly after they rescind their own press release they stage a photo with a weather balloon and everyone involved in that photo has come forward since saying that photo was staged and then they cart all the debris off to area 51 where it has never seen again it's amazing now those facts are unbelievable and yet and yet you know you only hear about roswell in a joking matter um and that to me was really kind of amazing you know it's it's it's, uh, there's no reason why we don't know what happened at Roswell. Someone has this debris, someone knows what it is, um, and if they don't, then that pretty much answers the question itself, um, because you know the technology in 1947 couldn't possibly be at a level that we wouldn't understand today. Um, so so it's, it's interesting to me, and I think that that, that was one of, kind of the main, main things that shifted my attention
2: yeah, I guess when you think about seventy years ago, wow, uh, coming up on seventy years since that uh, since the Roswell incident happened. and it is amazing that you know the the rescinded statement as well. and uh, mm-hmm. you know, coupled with the you know the the testimony saying of the people involved, saying it was all staged. And it sounds like you're describing independence day or something that's not real to people and <laughs> right and you know but yet there's people out there going oh you know what you guys are you know i think some people just don't want to think about it that maybe they don't want to consider having to reevaluate the hierarchy of the way they view the world is uh one of the potential right. uh problems that people see um I mean, I don't have I don't have kids at this time, but it seems to me that, you know, most parents are worried about their children's future being okay without them after they're gone. And when you and then when you start posing all of these unknowns like extraterrestrials with advanced technology, uh, therefore, you know, as humans, at least at this stage, we seem to assume anyone who's smarter or more advanced would subjugate because that's what we we tend to do. Um, then right. that becomes a real problem in someone's mind thinking about the future of their their offspring
1: right i mean I think that's definitely true I, you know listen the the, the 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 world would be put on edge if this were all to come out um you know and and part of the reason why the government keeps these sorts of secrets is in the 60s you know they commissioned a study um the condom study and part of the study was about what would happen to the world if we announced today that you know a uFO had landed. And the conclusion of the study was it would be complete chaos. Um, You know, people would stop going to work. Religions would go into, you know, uproar. It would be a very hard thing for society to continue around. Now, I think things have changed a lot since the 60s. I think that, you know, now we're at a point where we pretty much believe in life on other planets. Almost all scientists now are pretty certain that there has to be life somewhere out there. You know, we're finding Earth-like planets every day. So the odds are very good that there is life out there. Um, and that attitude is a big attitude shift. You know, 40, 50 years ago, that was a fringe belief. Now it's a pretty mainstream belief. Um, and I think the UFO thing will go through a shift like that too. Um, so I don't think the panic would be the way it, it was then. Um, but I think that the real reason that, you know, this stuff originally was covered up is the government simply didn't want to say, you know, uh, that something's out there. Uh, without um, understanding everything about
2: it, yeah, without being able to answer the follow-up questions the it, right. is, it is interesting too to to try to understand the definition of chaos, at least from that report, as far as like people not going to work and and religions failing, like the things that many people would argue are systems put in place to control people and So I guess chaos would be the absence of control to some degree. Um, I think you're right that it's different now. I think we underestimate humans' abilities uh, to adapt to any situation, especially with all the movies over the last 30 years and the television programs. We immediately accept within 30 seconds uh, the reality of the world when we're watching The Avengers. Or right. you know, the incredible Hulk or whatever it is. We're just in. We just this is the reality of these people's worlds. And we don't just sit there the whole time going, But but you know, these people why are these people going to work? Why are these there's an incredible Hulk. Why are these people going to their job? Why are these people getting you right, know right. you know, like those aren't questions we're asking ourselves. So I do think that's indicative of now, granted it's movies and stuff. I get that, but I do think right. I do think we underestimate our ability to adapt. I mean, we'd have no choice but to do so, uh, it, it seems. Now, when it comes to the, the thing that ties all this stuff in for you, uh, or at least, you know, in for Chuck, you know, the, the, when it comes to the idea of the 37th parallel, uh, for people that don't know what that is, that's the, uh, that's the degree of latitude, uh, correct, from, right. the, from the, the equator. Now, that kind of runs, right. basically runs through the center of the country, um do you do you find yourself just able to move on from this now that you've written this and and follow Chuck? <laughs> or I mean I it doesn't seem like a thing that you don't necessarily have to go Zukowski level with this obsession, but is it this is doesn't right. seem like material you can just kinda okay, I finished Walked that book. From... Yeah.
1: Right. Well it's interesting. So with well, the idea behind the thirty seventh parallel is that that with Chuck pretty much um, you know, believes that the majority of of UFO sighting cattle mutilation are all along the 37th parallel of the United States. It also seems to be that most of America's underground military bases are along that same line. Most American Indian burial sites, uh, which have a a UFO component to them, are along that line. There seems to be some sort of UFO highway that runs through the middle of the country. Um, You know, there's a lot of possible reasons for that, and... and, and, uh, you know, there's no clear answer to what that is. Um, it's fascinating to me. Um, the whole UFO phenomenon—it certainly is something that will be in my mind. And and listen, I'm I'm not alone in this sort of change in thought. You know, the recent Hillary Clinton, you know, was was on Jimmy Kimmel and and uh, said one of the first things he wants to do in office is get the UFO files released, um, the Area 51 files released. Uh, Bill Clinton had tried to do that when he was president and had been unable to release these files. Um, I think that you know, there are multiple, uh, multiple believers at, at very high levels who want to get to the bottom of, of, of this phenomenon, um, and I believe you know, within the next few years you're going to have some interesting answers coming out. Um, I do think that, that something is going to come forward soon um, that's going to be, uh, be more clear um, about, about what happened um, in the past and, and what may still be happening. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's interesting, you know, I will move on to another book and I will work on, on more projects, but I certainly, um, I certainly feel that my beliefs about this phenomenon have changed. And I do think that there's no reason why the mainstream shouldn't be covering this more seriously. Um, listen, uh, mainstream writers for the most part, can't cover the UFO phenomenon without, uh, it being mocked or being laughed at, um, real scientists, real professors at universities for the most part, can't study it. Um, you can't have, you can't talk about it without it being a joke. Every interview I'm going to do for this book is going to have exiles music playing in the background. That's just the reality of, of, this phenomenon. Um, and I do think there's enough evidence out there and there's enough, uh, first person accounts and things like that, that it should be looked at more seriously and more carefully and I think that that's really one of the goals of this story. And then the story's entertainment; it's a thriller. It's really about this one man dive into this world and what happens to him. But I'm hoping to open up the conversation, um, and uh, and uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Do you think uh, Do you think you could have taken this story on uh, at the beginning of your career? Or do you think it would have been a story that may have, may have tempted you? <laughs> no, you, you know in a that's, that's
1: interesting. I mean, I've, i I think if I had done this, it would have been it would have been like sci-fi. It would have been uh it would have been a different type of story. I mean, you know, uh, the fact that I've written a lot of nonfiction and I'm known for nonfiction, it it definitely. I don't feel that a lot of big mainstream books have been written in this this area, and uh, and I feel like I'm at a point in my career where where and this will certainly you know get mocked <laughs> I'm, I'm fully expecting the new york times to, to trash this book um <laughs> they often do with my books. but um but uh but you know in general i do think yeah this is something that that i can write about now i can research now in a different way than i could have done ten years ago um but but we'll see you know we'll see what what the what the response to it is going to be I really don't know
2: yet. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting because you do have this track record of, of you know, writing nonfiction, and then mm-hmm. you know, being successful, and then also translating to box office success with the movies, and you know, so in in that lends credibility to a certain degree. Um, you know, our 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 measuring stick of credibility. I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, there's so many different ones out there, but. Um, so I think it definitely is a situation now where uh, you're at the point in your career where you are kind of stepping in and you're giving credence to this stuff in a way that maybe hasn't really been done before. I mean, it's almost like the literary version of a, reti- a retired Air Force colonel saying, I've seen UFOs, right. you know, because uh, right. we do believe. Which,
1: by the way, happens all the time. Yes, <laughs> which exactly. Is very intriguing. It yeah. happens all the time, and, and it's pretty much ignored. Um, and, you know, when an astronaut comes forward and says it, when a, a aerospace engineers come forward and say it, I mean, over and over again, you have really legitimate people coming forward and ignore and, and it's ignored. Um, I, I do feel that, you know, I wanted to do this from a mainstream perspective. I want this book to sort of, you know, be out there in a big way so that people sort of understand and aren't afraid to come forward and, and talk about their own experiences um, and and uh, and hopefully we'll we'll shed more light on it. Yeah,
2: yeah, it's pretty great. I mean, because I think the average person doesn't even realize that there's former U.S. presidents who have talked about on the record seeing UFOs as well. The uh,
1: just had, about every president we've had is a believer, in when, except for Obama. We don't know what Obama's beliefs are. You know, he's he's uh, he's not necessarily a UFO believer, but but you know, Jim, Jimmy Carter or Hillary yeah. Bill and Hillary Clinton are believers. Um, uh, you know, almost every president has been a believer. Um, most. Most high-level uh, people at NASA believe. Um, uh, many astronauts believe. Many pilots have seen things, um, and it's it's fascinating. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, the band Foo Fighters wouldn't have that name if it wasn't for pilots <laughs> talking about it, right? Um, it's, right, right. Yeah have you have you had any other unexplainable supernatural? Uh, I don't know, maybe even mystical, metaphysical experiences uh, throughout the course of your life.
1: <laughs> No. You know, my, me personally, no. I've never seen a UFO. I've never sort of had a personal experience um, in this world or, or, or you, know, you know, I grew up in a family of scientists. I, blew, I grew up, uh, you know, my dad's a doctor. Both my brothers are doctors. Um, I come from sort of a scientific background. And for me sort of um, to believe something, you know, I need to see a reason to believe it. I need more. And uh, and some people, you know, have an easier time believing things and other people have a harder time believing things. Um, I really came into this from a background of not having no real experiences of paranormal or things like that. Um, and uh, and that's what kind of intrigues me about this world is that, you know, as a person who considers myself, you know, rational and, and everything is very grounded in science, I don't see uh, uh, a reason why people aren't covering this subject more seriously. Um, you know, I, I don't know anything about, you know, uh, ghost sightings or Bigfoot or that whole world. Um, I'm really focused on the evidence here um, in the UFO world and the idea that there's these unexplained phenomena such as cattle mutilations um, that that are interconnected with this, um, that there's no real clear answer yet to, um, and the goal essentially is to get the conversation in that direction. But no, not personally, never never really had any other, any touch experience with them.
2: Yeah, and I believe that uh, the skeptic is the believer's, it's their best ally. Now, when a skeptic right. becomes a believer, like a lot of the people who go on ghost hunts, actually, it's been my understanding and talking to them that you know at least half of the people who are really into going on these adventures and hunting for ghosts with the equipment, they are people who don't believe in ghosts. and they're right. they're 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 there only to be like, okay, i'm I'll find some evidence. Okay, let's prove it to me." And so they go on these things. And you know, there's definitely a fine line. i sometimes I think we get a little too black or or white in in the way we, you know, try to decide something. And like this book is a great example of like there's so much gray area happening and whether that gray area is occupied by beings that are actually gray is, right. you know, you know up for debate, I guess, still, according to some people. But um, it is weird. I mean, sometimes you can go down these rabbit holes too far and down at the bottom of every, every rab- rabbit hole, there's a guy trying to sell you a bunker, you know, uh, <laughs> trying to make money off yeah. you. And so you have to, you know, so people have to be careful about, you know, the the charlatans or whatever they they want to call them. But um, if there's if there's a takeaway from from your experience, other than maybe transforming your your views on, you know, the possibility or maybe just even getting you to start thinking about it. um, I'd be curious to know what that is, because Chuck's got that or an anonymous aerospace executive's got that great quote, a generation from now, people will look back at us the same way we look back at those who believe the earth was flat, the evidence that we've been visited by extraterrestrials is so overwhelming. It's actually a leap of faith to believe anything else. That's the end of the quote. And it's funny because the, the the new flat earth movement, I'm not sure if I, yeah, you probably haven't gone down these rabbit holes, but I have to do this regularly, but there's like a new movement about the flat earth going. It's, it's right. insane. It's like, it's really wild. Um, and it's kind of, it's, it's almost inconceivable that it's happening, but uh, there's some pretty interesting stuff out there. But
1: if there's, any- you know, and, and I'll, yeah, I'll tell you. Listen, I mean, I, I haven't talked to people and I don't, I don't know wh- what, what it's based on. But uh, one of the problems that I've had in researching this book is that there are definitely people who are too willing to believe everything. Um, and, and when you're trying to sort of take UFology seriously, it's tricky if people are willing to believe that the Earth is flat, if people are willing to believe things that <laughs> science can legitimately disprove, um, they're not going to be taken seriously when they're talking about UFOs. Um, and, I, and, and so, you know, it, it gets tricky when, when you want to believe too much. Um, but, but yeah, I, I do think that, you know, that, that quote from the aerospace executive is, it's fascinating to me. I mean, the idea that we're really dropping the ball, um, that the next generation is going to say, of course, of course, you know, we were visited, um, uh, it, it, it's going to be a very different, uh. A different feel a generation from now and 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 you know, he's, he's someone who is in in an industry which which has reasons why they might know things that we wouldn't know um but uh but it's uh yeah I, I think that's one of uh one of the quotes that really struck me as well
2: yeah it's really fascinating because there is there's probably nothing more true in my mind than the the idea though that you know, willing to believe, like if someone walked up to someone and said, oh, a leprechaun and a mermaid just came over and we had milkshakes and then got they got into a ship and drove away that was inside the concave earth you know it's like okay well okay and then guy's like okay i believe everything you just it's like okay we have to have some scientific measurement of some kind like i think that was um chuck's problem with mufon uh is that they were collect, right. you know it's all uh, the collection of all of this information but there was no one there to analyze it um with like right. rigid rigid requirements and i think and that's where bigelow comes into the story and right. To me, and, he's yeah. like Bigelow, the, yeah. yeah, he's the guy from Contact, that like rich billionaire. You know what I mean? Like he right. almost has that kind of tinge to him,
1: right? And this was part of the story that really blew my mind. And this is all true. You know, uh, Robert Bigelow, a billionaire. He's often called a reclusive billionaire. He runs an aerospace company, um, which makes pieces for the International Space Station. They make the Transhab, which was part of the SpaceX launch recently. Um, you know, he's 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 the real deal. Um, he has been funding UFO studies for decades, um, to the point that if you look at the FAA manual, um, which is what all commercial pilots use, if a pilot in the United States sees something, they don't report it to the FAA, they report it to Bigelow. <laughs> Bigelow's own team researches it. Um, so that's an amazing thing to me, that a private company, a private individual is took over essentially the government's role in researching UFOs uh, and ufology. And Chuck has a lot of run-ins with Bigelow's people. They have laboratories. They have ways of analyzing materials that are found say at Roswell or wherever. Um, they're well-funded. They had a relationship with MUFON, which they ended because, um, you know, reportedly they felt that MUFON uh, was, was, was too uh, chaotic, I guess would be the word um, you know, is very enthusiastic about gathering information, but didn't have enough science behind it, didn't have its own laboratories, didn't have any way of analyzing anything. Um Bigelow, Bigelow takes this very seriously, you know, hires real scientists. Um, he bought Skinwalker Ranch, which is this favorite, famous ranch, um which was sort of haunted, I guess you would say, by by the skinwalker phenomenon, which is this American Indian, Native American phenomenon, animal like visions, I guess you would say, but it also has a UFO component to it. He literally bought this ranch um, and installed a bunch of scientists in it for years to sort of take down data to try and figure out what was going on there. He is all about the scientific approach to this world. His goal is to prove or disprove it. Now many people in the UFO community um, believe that he's in league with, say, the CIA, the Defense Department that he's reverse engineering UFO technology, um, that he's some sort of villain. Um, my personal belief is no, is that that you know he is inquisitive, he really believes in UFOs. Um, he felt he feels he has enough information to believe, but now he's looking for that smoking gun. He's looking for proof. And he wants it from a scientific perspective, not from just a belief perspective. And I think that's very admirable. And I think that's what this world needs. But he also recognizes that, listen, this stuff gets mocked. Um, This stuff is not taken seriously. Any serious scientist who suddenly starts to look into UFOs can lose his job, Um, will not be taken seriously, will not be able to publish in real scientific journals anymore. And that's a big danger for people. And so someone like Bigelow, who has a lot of money, can fund stuff that, say, a university won't. At the same time, now that Bigelow runs a major aerospace company with ties to NASA, He is not going to be open about this stuff. Um, And so it's become, again, if it's still a project of his, a secret project. And so it's an interesting thing for me um, when someone like that truly believes and really wants an answer, but at the same time can't be open about it and can't look for it openly uh, for fear of of damaging his company or his reputation. Um, But anyways, it's a fascinating area to look into, and, and the book goes on and on about you know, I get very deep into Bigelow. I, I had a great source on the inside. Um, and uh, and so uh, I was able to sort of get inside it in a way that, that people haven't been
2: able to before. Yeah, it was really great. I've, I've researched Bigelow in the past, and you had some really great stuff on on him. And it is it is amazing because one's enthusiasm, I, I think, eventually does have to have boundaries when it comes to mm-hmm. his, his disclosure about the stuff, I, I guess, while it's happening. Um, and you know, I'm a full disclosure kind of guy. I, I, you know, I love the idea of it all, but I also am a realist in the idea, you know, and understanding, you know, in the ways that he's operating. I mean, there's, uh, there's so much going on here, like with star team. And I know a couple guys who used to be in MUFON, uh, back when the, um, the star team, uh, in the, the partnership with Bigelow, uh, was, you know, was made and now they've got their own thing called UPARs out here in LA, but it's a UFO and paranormal research society. But uh, they kind of broke off. But there is it. It is interesting to think that you have this meeting of science and belief, and you know somewhere somewhere in the middle. I mean, as human beings, we have to we have decided that scientific method and, and you know eyewitness testimony these are the things that are important to us, and I guess to be able to measure the world around us. Kind of understand it. We need these things, and I think this book does a great idea or does a great job of uh, of introducing those ideas to people who may not be into this stuff that much. Uh, I don't think you have to be. You don't have to have like a UFO UFO hanging from your rearview mirror or you know an alien bobblehead at your house to. To really get into this book and really love it, so um, it's really awesome, dude. I, I oh, thank you. know, I, I wonder. I you know, there's like after reading this book, I just started thinking of all the different things and people I wanted to read a book that you had written about, like Fulcanelli, the guy about alchemy, and like all these ancient okay. esoteric wisdom traditions that are supposedly hidden. And it's just like, oh man, uh, you know, if Ben got his, you know, you obviously couldn't get a hold of Fulcanelli unless it. <laughs> it is true that he allegedly did figure out how to, you know, stay alive forever, but through alchemy. But, um, this was awesome, dude. Um, is there like, should we like do some uh, website plugging and stuff like that? Because I know you're, you're, you're probably on the, uh, you know, uh, you're burning the on the web- c- candle <laughs> at both ends with the, uh, with the promo. Yeah. Right now.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, so the book is available everywhere, uh, September 6th. It should be in airports and bookstores and Amazon and everything like that. Uh, my website is just com. You know, on Twitter, Ben Mesrick, and Facebook at Ben Mesrick, and in general, I'll be out there all over the place uh, with the book, and I hope people, you know, enjoy it and 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 learn a little, little about this world, but uh, it's cool to be talking about it, and, uh, and uh, hopefully uh, a lot of people will be talking about it in a couple of weeks.
2: Well, I think there's no doubt about that, uh, for sure, that a ton of people are going to be talking about it. You'll fall in love with the Zukowski family and all the people involved. Uh, I mean, it's just really inspiring and it makes you kind of, it kind of reinvigorates that internal passion flame, uh, for people. I think regardless of what they do in their life, they can, they can really take something from it and be like, you know, you know, you got to go, go all in, you know, I mean, why not? You got one chance at this thing. So why not go all in? Well, Ben, this was awesome, dude. Uh, I look forward to seeing the movie here in a a couple of years or however long it'll take, uh, you know, in the the filming (laughs) process and post-production, but, um, but yeah, definitely, uh definitely to everybody listen and definitely check it out and also check you know you could spend months uh going through your back catalog of books uh all, all very compelling tales so dude i appreciate it thanks again for uh hanging out and uh
1: thanks so much yeah, i appreciate it too yeah. and uh and a great great talking to you
2: okay awesome. yeah take care okay bye That was my interview with Ben Mesrick. He's the author of *The 37th parallel, the secret truth behind America's UFO highway. What a cool dude. Uh, you know, he's roughly the same age as me, maybe a few years older. So, uh, you know, I feel like we have that same kind of generation X or whatever generation we were. I don't even remember uh, situation happening. So I'm um, very comfortable talking to that dude. Um, this book was incredible. I, I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, I mean, I literally read it in like two days. I think it was like two or three sittings. I read this book, so you you don't want to put it down. I mean, it's a true story, but it reads like fiction, so it's it's really great. Um, and Chuck Zukowski, oh man, this guy. You know what? This is gonna it's gonna be a crazy time for him right now. But sometime in the future, maybe I'll be able to get him on the mics. Maybe when I'm up in uh, Colorado, up in his uh, stomping grounds, that would be really cool. Chat with him or his sister Debbie, um, who's also a uh, you know a real she's you know lifer she's a lifer when it comes to being an investigator of the paranormal or of ufos so there was a lot more we could have talked about um ben is a busy man so you know we did the uh you know did the roughly the hour talk so um but i didn't want to give too much of the book away because there's just so much good stuff happening in there um, I just just know this that I am compiling a list a reading this uh, inspired me to come up with a paranormal destination vacation list um, so I'm going to be compiling that uh, you know I guess at my leisure or leisure or, or however uh, and then you know hopefully maybe we'll do a uh, you know a 37th parallel comedy tour uh, you know uh, maybe I'll go out there and just do comedy in all the crazy places that have awesome weird and wild things happening Um And also sometimes scary things happening. So I will be in Paducah, Kentucky on September 14th. um, And Paducah, Kentucky is on the 37th parallel. So uh, this is all very exciting. Uh, Maybe it is kismet, as they would say. Uh, But let's see here. I will be at the Maiden Alley Cinema in Paducah, Kentucky. MaidenAlleyCinema.org is the website that is on september 14th which is a wednesday night so uh maiden alley cinema in paducah kentucky on the 37th parallel all kinds of weird things happening in paducah uh as far what i've been as of last night i was even told uh lots of um interesting weird stuff happening in paducah so maybe i have a day off there afterwards so maybe i'll be able to get into it a little bit uh we shall see or or day before maybe i i don't know we'll see we'll see if it works out sometimes the road is vigorous and there's not much time to do much so and i will be in florence alabama just outside of muscle shoals on the 16th of september i'll be at mobile 116 uh with johnny rotten cash Are, are you kidding me Uh, That's Jimmy Nutt's band. Jimmy Nutt just won a Grammy. So that's going to be a hell of a show. And I will be at the Laughing Skull in Atlanta, Georgia, the 8th through the 11th of September. So that is next weekend. Um, Actually, this is probably going to go up Friday. Or, yeah, I need to put this up this Friday so uh, we can... uh, so I can plug those dates so uh, or or what I'm doing now would be in the past and it wouldn't make any sense thank you so much for listening I hope you enjoyed that interview Uh, I know I sure did I woke up uh, bright and early for it drank some coffee earlier than I'm used to being up but hey um, that's what you do when you Skype East Coast style from the West Coast I appreciate you and I hope you appreciate you as well meandparanormalu.com RyanSingerComedy.com 818-839-0593. That's the mind line. Mm, me and ParanormalU at gmail.com. Sing on Instagram. R-Y-S-I-N-G. The same on Twitter. I am on Facebook. I kind of deactivated my Facebook page, which had access to a ton of people. And I'm not filled with regret, but I'm now I just have a page. Okay, so it's uh, if you search Ryan Singer, me and Paranormal you, my page should come up you can email me there, you know, like the page and you'll keep up to date on tour schedule, uh, mindcast stuff. I'll be doing a live MindCast actually in Florence as well at a record or muscle shoals at a record shop that day. More information to come because it's a very small little spot, but if you're in that area, it's going to be cool guests to be announced soon. Oh, but trust me, this is going to be some wild stuff happening. So it's very exciting. Um, what else is there to tell you other than you know what I feel good I'm uh you know I am jacked up on coffee right now and I feel real good about that um I will be in Los Angeles for the next week bouncing around doing sets I you know I'm not gonna plug those here because because who knows where that uh, what that means by the time this comes up check out the 37th parallel secret truth behind America's UFO highway Ben Mesrick M-E-Z-R-I-C-H that's how he spells his name in case you didn't know um Dude, great book. Great book. I I tried to put a bird in his ear about uh, writing a book about Falconelli. Did you hear that? Maybe it worked. Maybe a slow burn. Maybe that planting that little seed about alchemy in his mind. Maybe it worked. We'll find out. You know what? It's more fun to believe. If I don't see you out on the road, I will see you at the watering hole. Yeah, that's right. I'll see you at the watering hole on the astral plane. This experience was mixed by Alex Stein. Check out his podcast at thealexsteinpodcast.com.
0: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming.